Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From the studio in Sun City, Arizona Boomer Radio presents Wealth DNA with Ron the Ronald Naraki. Wealth DNA gives you insights and methods for increasing your net worth. Ron's experience dealing with local and international markets give him insights that can be valuable to any investor. Now here's the host of the show, Ron Naraki. Hello and Happy New Year. Welcome to the Wealth DNA Radio Show and we're honored that you're joining us today. I hope you forgive me for the scratchy sound on the other side of my microphone. I've been gradually recovering from the flu the last almost 14 days. And I have to admit, I didn't get around to getting a flu shot in the fall. Mea culpa. In each show, we try to make sure we share some great investment ideas or remind you about the investment fundamentals. As uh, regular listeners know, we've been doing a series on alternative investments, and today's show is a continuation of that series. We've already covered several alternative investments on prior shows, so if you missed those shows, you might want to jot down the topics, go back to our archive, and re-listen to them. What are those topics? Well, we covered a direct direct investments in real estate, a variety of them. We covered the owning as well as loaning alternatives. We covered managed futures and an overview of alternative investments with Matthew Tuttle in December. Now, from that show with Matthew Tuttle, you'll recall why it is that we're spending time on alternative investments. You see, some of the best-performing investment funds have been the major university endowment funds. If you see their portfolios and compare them to the average investors, and maybe your own, IRA or 401k, you would very quickly see how they differ. No, not just the number of zeros in their total assets, but also the composition of their portfolio. You see, an individual investor might target to have, let's say, 70% in equities and 30% in bonds, but uh, no, not those guys. Those guys have a much richer mix of alternative investments. They might have 40% in them and then at 60% in traditional financial securities. So we're hoping today's show on crowdfunding, a totally new investment concept, turns out to be an alternative investment appropriate for each of our portfolios. And now, if you're not familiar with crowdfunding, it was just introduced with new legislation in the spring of 2012 with the intent of making it easier for companies to obtain capital and thus expand and create more jobs. Now, certainly every country needs more dynamic new businesses and more jobs. So, good intention. Today we have a special guest, Daniel Hirsch. He's the managing partner of IPO Village, who will get us up to speed on this new opportunity. Now, if you aren't familiar with or really haven't heard the term crowdfunding, then you know you've tuned in to the right show. In addition to sharing the fundamentals of investing and helping you build your wealth, the Wealth DNA Radio Show also informs you of investments no one else wants you to know about. 
Today is January 14th in uh, 2013. Got it right. It's easy to forget. Uh, New Year, 2013. It's 9.03 a.m. in Phoenix, Arizona, 11.03 on the East Coast, and 5.03 p.m. in continental Europe. You're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. This show airs every second and fourth Monday at 9 a.m. in Arizona. I certainly hope you can join us each time we air, but if you miss a show, or if you want to go back and re-listen to those six shows on alternative investments I just mentioned, you can hear them on the archives. Just go to www.wealthdna.us, where we list each of them, both upcoming and archived shows. Now, for those curious about the U.S. equity markets, after a very dramatic jump since your end, the U.S. markets are off to a negative start. Pretty typical for a Monday, you may recall from prior shows. Asia was up very, very sharply, and Europe slightly higher, despite not uh, not great news out of Europe for, for a number of uh, months and now years. And Brazil is up almost, uh, actually over 1% the last time I checked. So, a uh, very up day in the market, except in the U.S. Now, since we started a new year, I hope you updated your asset tracking spreadsheet, which shows how your investments are performed and gives you an updated net worth and the level of your IGAs. Remember what IGAs are? Income generating assets. I'll admit I haven't finished yet, but if you haven't even started yet, let me remind you that if you don't measure it, you can't manage it. On our Christmas Eve show, I also shared a formula from Dr. Thomas Stanley. Let me want to add to that uh, spreadsheet. The ratio of your net worth to your income, and I gave the specific formula, to see whether you're a BSA, balance sheet affluent, or you're an ISA, income sheet affluent, or at least you're on your way. Now, another positive thing to do as we enter the New Year is to put together your resolutions and, of course, write them down. As you review those New Year's resolutions every week or every month, you might want to go back to our archive and re-listen to the show on SMART goals. We'll give you some tips on making your resolutions SMART instead of general statements, and then at the end of 2013, you're not sure whether you're successful or not. Well, I think it's time to jump into our topic today, crowdfunding. And to bring on our special guest, Daniel Hirsch of First Line Capital, and he's the managing partner of IPO Village with a very unique crowdfunding platform. He was a research analyst in the healthcare industry, a turnaround specialist, and involved in public offerings as well as reverse mergers, which obviously led to the company he's now working with. Welcome, Daniel, and thank you for taking the time to meet with me and our investors. Good morning, Alan. Thank you for having me on. Now, I gave a brief overview of your background. Tell us a little bit more about your background and First Line Capital and specifically connection between First Line Capital and IPO Village. Okay. Um, well, First Line Capital is, is a investment banking firm that focuses on young emerging companies and taking them public. Um, we help them out in various ways. Sometimes we're their investors. Uh, sometimes we're their consultants, sometimes we're both. Um, we've been helping young companies go public on NASDAQ now for, uh, I'd say, a good 13, 14 years. And uh, one of the things that we've noticed is, is some of the issues that our companies, our portfolio companies, have gone through in the going process, going public process. 
And uh, we wanted to address those issues uh, for some time, uh, making making them a, a more vi- more viable. And uh, we've had a hard time coming up with a way, but now with social media being as it is and the Jobs Act, uh, which has been passed, uh, we feel we have an excellent opportunity, and and that led us to to create IPO Village, uh, where companies going public uh, can have the opportunity to reach out to investors directly. Okay, so IPO Village was born to help more IPOs, and um, all right, we're going to hear more about that later on today's month. But I'd suggest most of our listeners are investors, and uh, given the topic today, I expect a lot more listeners that are uh, entrepreneurs and companies. So what I'd like to do is break the show up kind of into three segments, uh, crowdfunding first from the entrepreneur and the company's perspective, because I think it's easier to understand the whole concept of crowdfunding from that perspective. Then secondly, from an investor's perspective, and then I'd like to spend some time about uh, talking about IPO Village, and you've got a fairly unique uh, platform there. Uh, would that work for you? That'd be great. Okay, let's dig in. Now, why don't you start with what exactly is crowdfunding? Well, I guess in, in the simplest form, crowdfunding is a way for companies to actively solicit um, the general public, uh, which up to this date has not been possible. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. I, I, a great definition. As a matter of fact, I, I was just thinking I probably should have looked up if there were any definitions with such a new term, but I, I like that. So actively solicit the general uh, public. Uh, and you're right, it hasn't been available. Now, as I mentioned in the intro very briefly, this uh, crowdfunding concept came about in the spring of 2012, April, if I recall, with the introduction of new legislation in the uh, in the U.S. specifically. Now, can you give us a little bit more background on that act and what was the motivation for the uh, government to come up with this concept? Well, the JOBS Act is, is an acronym for Jumpstart Our Business Startups. Uh, from the government's uh, view of things, I think this was a way to spur investment into uh, small companies, which of course will help the employment market. And uh, secondly, and, and and important as well, is to is to get the creativity and and you know some of the some of the greatest developments have come from you know one or two young men or women that go out with an idea. Uh, they're not necessarily coming from the large companies like Google, like Facebook, like you know all right. the all these companies we're very well familiar with now, um, and we need more of that creativity going on in the U.S. Oh, I totally agree, and I, I certainly recall the Jobs Act. I even wrote an article about some of the controversy surrounding it since uh, the, the president announced the concept, but he wasn't able to actually write a bill. Uh, and so the first Jobs Act was actually submitted by Louis Gohmert, a Republican representative from uh, from Texas. But uh, why don't you tell us about some of the key provisions of the, Job Act, the Jobs Act that was passed and how it will impact uh, crowdfunding? Well, the, the biggest... By far and away, uh, I think the provision of the act that that we were faced with is in the past. There's, I guess, in the investment world, they break down investors into accredited investors, and I guess, as we'd say today, the other 99 percent. Right. Um, and the government has basically, since the 1930, since the 1934 uh, act, which was put into place because of the market crash, um, 
the government has been very careful on allowing uh, people to freely invest to, in the in small companies. So, in order to protect investors, they made sure they they were quote unquote accredited investors. In order to become in order to be qualified as an accredited investor, you basically have to have a lot of money. Correct, correct. And then most people that are accredited investors know that definition. Uh, we've shared it on the show a number of times. But now, before we forget, now very important, I should have done it even earlier, uh, let's come get some contact information for you and uh, or for, for IPO Village to our listeners. Uh, easy enough, uh, IPOVillage.com. Um, we have a, a nice website up there. It's actually being uh, redone. We'll have a new website up shortly. And um, FirstLineCapital.com. Okay, oh, firstlinecapital.com. You know, I forgot to even uh, jot that one down. I had the IPO Village in my notes. That's www.ipovillage.com. IPO as an initial public offering. Uh, so we've got to make sure we do that before the end of the show as well. Now, whenever I hear about new legislation, uh, I, I always get a little bit worried. Uh, often it doesn't meet its initial objectives just because the rules are written after the legislation's done. And... Doesn't this whole concept of of opening the door uh, for people to you know to approach the general public about investing doesn't that kind of open the door for some of the unscrupulous uh, uh, companies or those that just don't know uh, how to run a business properly to go ahead and get money from investors? Well, the short answer for that is yes. Um, however, you know there has been some for some form of crowdfunding now over the past year, uh, and surprisingly enough, that has not been an issue. So, okay. Why don't, you, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about the current status? Because, as, as you said, it passed last year, but that doesn't mean it's you know fully enforced. So why don't you give us an idea of the, the status of the legislation and the rule writing and, and you know when platforms could be started and when people could start uh, you know using it uh, fully? Well, there, as you mentioned earlier, this is what happens generally when they enact laws is they haven't fully finished with the rules. We don't know what the rules are going to be, uh, which has really basically created a state of flux. So what, what that has meant is, is, number one, everyone right now who's investing in equity uh, crowdfunding would still have to do, be considered a, an accredited investor because okay. the legislation hasn't passed. Um, you know, they're looking at uh, firming up the legislation, I guess, towards the end of 2013. It was supposed to be the end of 2012, now it's the right. 2013. I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being in sometime in 2014. Yeah, um, so I guess the fiscal cliff discussion delayed everything on uh, on trying to get uh, <laughs> things defined for any of the rest of the, the uh, country, right? Well, I guess, listen, the wheels of legislation never really Okay, very true. But now, in this interim period, now, what types of companies? So, if, if I'm running a company, well, well, I am. It's more of an investment fund. But if if somebody's running a company, listening to this show, uh, how do they know whether they can raise funds using crowdfunding? What do they need to do? What can they do? Well, right now, there's there's really two kinds. There's three kinds of crowdfunding. One is the uh, equity investments. Which again, right now is limited to uh, accredited investors, except for IPO Village, which we'll discuss later. Right. Um, 
And then, then you have the donation base where, you know, you, you you give some money and you get a free tote bag or coffee mug or whatever whatever that be, uh, and that's not considered an investment, um, and companies are doing that. Uh, that would mm-hmm. be the Indiegogo, the Kickstarters of the world. And then there's also debt financing, uh, like a company called SomoLend. Those are the okay. three major types of crowdfunding right now. All right. Let's say an entrepreneur is wants to take advantage of this, and, and, and even though they can't fully do it or they might start out with some of the donation model or other, other ways of doing this, uh, what should they do to prepare their business to get them up on uh, some of the crowdfunding sites? Uh, you mentioned a few. Uh, or these sites or platforms, whatever you want to refer to them as, what, what's some of the preparation they should be doing? Well, I guess, I guess first of all, they, they should have a good general plan because you can get locked in by going certain uh, routes. In other words, uh, if you decide to go debt financing, uh, that can cause you problems later on because you now have a lot of debt. Um, but, but in all, what they should be doing is getting – figuring out how to get their message across to the public of what they're doing, what they're about, and where they're going, and sort of have it, you know, in today's age, in the, you know, in one, two, three pages, that you should be able to understand what they're doing, uh, you can see the value in it, uh, and the investor can then decide if they want to invest or not. All right, so what you're saying is some of the same things that every business should do anyway in defining their business plan and uh, some of their marketing and, uh, and and their whole message. Correct, correct. All right. You know, listen, general business principles always apply. <laughs> right, so they haven't changed. So just because crowdfunding was introduced, general principles didn't didn't change. Now, I should remind our listeners, you're tuned to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki, and I look forward to you joining us every second and fourth Monday. If you've missed some of the prior shows, like the earlier ones on alternative investments or smart goals, you might want to re-listen to them. We maintain an archive of shows on wealthdna.us. And if you'd like to get an email reminder of the shows, you can do one of two things, or of course, both. Send an email to me, ron at wealthdna.us. DNA.us will keep you posted about future shows and events. Or in the upper left-hand side of your screen, if you're coming in through the Internet, uh, just under the Boomer and the Babes picture, follow the, uh, I mean, click the little follow button there, and they'll keep you informed of the great shows on the Boomer and the Babe Network. Now, a reminder, during the radio show, we welcome you, our listeners, to um, send us chat messages as one way to ask some questions or uh, comments. And uh, the other is to call in. And so the chat window is right below the radio player, and the call-in number is at the top of the screen. But let me tell you that it's 917-388-4162. Today we're talking with Daniel Hirsch of First Line Capital um, about crowdfunding, a very new investing concept. So if you weren't familiar with it, you're tuned to the right place. We started by talking about crowdfunding from an entrepreneur's or company's perspective uh, so now we're going to take a look at crowdfunding from an investor's perspective. Okay, Daniel, I've heard and, and you touched on that that crowdfunding is limited to accredited investors under certain types. So again, for investors that are looking for an equity investment, uh, what are the criteria? Uh, the criteria to be an accredited investor? Or? No, to, I'm sorry for the I'm sorry for the for the. Um, investor to want to get into some of the crowdfunding initiatives that are out there today. So they would have to be accredited, correct? Correct. At this point, 
Yes. Okay. And th- those rules, we don't expect to really have something until probably later 2013, from what you said earlier. So at this point, if somebody has a smaller uh, net worth or whatever, they're going to be limited on the types of crowdfunding they can get involved in from an investor perspective, correct? Correct. We're working to change that, but yes. Okay. Now, since all of the rules are still not available, as we just said, and uh, most of the ventures um, wouldn't have a SEC registration, uh, you touched on this. There, there, there are other ways that they're doing it now, and, and so one of them is this donation. So if, let me let me use the example of the Wealth DNA Radio Show. We might want to go out and sell uh, T-shirts for fifteen dollars, or Wealth DNA Radio baseball caps for twenty dollars, uh, which, by the way, would be you know worth at least twice as much since we've not, not even produced one yet. Uh, now, the other I've heard about, and I don't know if there are any success stories yet, but pre-purchasing new products is another way that some people are doing crowdfunding where they're saying, okay, uh, you can buy this too. Well, let me use that example. I'm going to do the Wealth DNA radio t-shirts, and you can have the first 100 signed versions, uh, but uh, you know those will cost you $100 or something. So that is another way to go about crowdfunding today? Yes, it is. Uh, obviously, the issue that you would have with that is that you don't really own a share of the company. So it's a weak sort of investment. Okay, so it really is just then, as you called it, a donation or or a pre-purchase of something that uh, that might be innovative, which may never get produced. Uh, you know, if we never did those uh, T-shirts, then we collected the money and said thank you very much. But uh, so I, you know, kind of we're getting at a little bit of tips there. Now you talked about debt investment, or or, or in essence, uh, I guess the equivalent of bonds using uh, crowd financing, uh, crowdfunding. Excuse me. Tell us a little bit more about that. What I know, how would a company do that? Well, again, companies like companies that would be eligible for that would be companies that, by definition, are a little more developed, uh, that mm-hmm. they have assets, um, which would allow them to get debt from debt financing, mm-hmm. um, and that and that those assets can be in the form of a patent, it could be in in the form of property, it could be in the form of uh, almost anything, but it's got to be an asset, and and that. And that's the way you go about doing the debt financing. But again, uh, debt financing is not for all companies. Um, they have to be at a point where they're able to generate revenues in the near future, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and it might limit their abilities in the future. Are there some caps on the amount of money that come from an individual investor? I mean, I'd heard something like ten thousand dollars or something like that was a cap. Is that is that apply to the debt financing as well? Well, again, the rules really haven't sort of been established, but generally, yes, it'll be in that. You know, the talks are it'll be in that realm. Gotcha. Okay, so rule du jour would say, why don't you stick with ten thousand dollars, keep yourself, oh, nine thousand nine hundred to keep yourself safe. Uh, okay, so let's say I am an accredited investor and and I'm aware of some companies that are out there, you know, trying to get crowdfunding and and, and doing an equity offering. Uh, that you know, I'm eligible to to invest in. Uh, what are some of the risks and benefits of, of doing that versus waiting till all the rules are written and uh, you know doing it otherwise? Well, the benefits, of course, is the earlier you invest in a company, the greater uh, the potential value of that investment will be. Mm-hmm. Um, but in truth, the, the whole purpose of the crowdfunding is not the accredited investor. 
Uh, unfortunately, we're we're stuck in that limbo until the laws are are refined. But crowdfunding is all about the 99%. Crowdfunding is about the average person out there who may not even know what an accredited credit investor is, but wishes to invest in young companies. And and mm-hmm. that's that's the positive part of crowdfunding. Okay, so if a accredited investor today jumps in, they may have more upside because by the time there would be 99 more investors like him uh, down the road uh, that uh, jump in later on, and, and his stake could be significantly more valuable, assuming that uh, he picked some of the right companies and, and did very well. So that's a, that's a very good point. But how about some of the due diligence? What should I do as an accredited investor if, if I am looking at that? Uh, what should I do to check out the company, and what kind of information can I get uh, given that it is something that's not a, not a registered company at this point? Well, that's, that's where you run into a rough problem. Um, doing due diligence on a company that is not registered with the SEC is difficult. Um, there are things you can do. Uh, you can certainly, of course, uh, Google the, the management and the employees. Uh, you could do background checks, you know, try to find out more about the people in the company. But, but the fact is, your information is going to be limited. And that's one of the reasons why it's taken so long to get the legislation through, is how much are they going to let people invest? You know, you want to keep that balance with allowing people to invest but not allowing them to get ahead of themselves uh, and invest too much money in a risky proposition. Because the fact is, on young companies, uh, for a venture capital firm to have success, they're looking at a 1 in 10 ratio. Right? Right. So by definition, investing in young companies is a risky business. Um, and that's, that's exactly what crowdfunding is meant to do, is allow you to invest in that. Now, what the government's saying is we don't want to let you invest too much because then you might hurt yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. whether, whether you agree with the government doing that or not is, is a different story, but that, that's what's happening right now. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so it's you know the, to to some extent, I guess we can say that the government uh, wanted to get some good PR and press out there and uh, put something together that really isn't uh, fully available yet. Uh, but that would be kind of uh, cynical, wouldn't it, to, to say that our government would do anything like that? Well, you know, <laughs> never, the, never happens. The, right? the matter is, it's actually it's actually an interesting dilemma because before the stock market crash in 1929, I think that that would be considered crowdfunding. Um, whereas companies were able to solicit the, the broad mass of people in the United States and abroad and, and get them to invest in their company. Uh, there wasn't a lot of disclosure required. Uh, there wasn't a lot, you know, not a lot of information was provided. And then, you know, the market crashed and then all the laws came up. But now, now we're taking a look back saying, hey, maybe some of these laws are a little too strict. And, and right. how do we loosen them? And and that's the that's what the legislators are faced with today. Okay, no, that's a, that's a fair point. So if my real estate fund, and then of course we've got assets and we've got you know pro- because we are property um, uh, fund, wanted to raise additional funds. Uh, let's say this year during the time when when crowdfunding isn't fully defined, it sounds like the debt 
would be the way to go. And, and this would be true of other real estate investors who uh, who have assets. It wouldn't have to be somebody structured like a fund. It sounds like the debt offering would be the area that they would want to research, correct? Uh, yes, unless they just want to wait a little bit or use something like IPO fillage. That would, that would be true. Yeah, and that's going to be a good segue to our next segment here. Uh, I, you know, using crowdfunding to raise more funds is definitely on my radar screen, and, and so this is a topic of interest to, to me as well. But before we continue, let me uh, remind our listeners that just tuned in, you're listening to the Wealth DNA Radio Show. I'm your host, Ron Naraki. You can listen to the earlier portion on the archive, and if you missed prior shows, you can find them on that same archive, Wealth DNA. US. Today we're talking with Daniel Hirsch. He's the managing partner of IPO Village. We've been discussing crowdfunding, we still are, from both the entrepreneur's perspective as well as an investor's perspective. We're now going to switch and talk about IPO Village, a uh, unique business model related to uh, both initial public offerings and crowdfunding. So uh, looking forward to that piece. And uh, Daniel, let's jump in. You've already mentioned several uh, different types of crowdfunding. Uh, what kind of crowdfunding does IPO Village facilitate? Well, IPO Village hopes to be the first equity-based crowdfunding for both accredited and non-accredited investors. And we do this uh, by all, our, all companies listed on IPO Village will have gone through um, the IPO process as far as the SEC concerns. Is concerned, which means that they've done a, a full disclosure uh, and they've met all those criteria. Uh, proper due diligence can be done by the investors, mm-hmm. um, and and the companies themselves are have to be well thought out and have to not be afraid to have everything out in the open. And those are the companies we're looking for at IPO Village. Okay, and well, I, I probably can even correct you jokingly here. So you say you want to be, you you hope to be the first uh, equity um, um, platform, if you will, for doing this. Uh, I, I'm guessing your real goal is to be the only one eventually. Well, as with anything that, that as with any new uh, and innovative uh, markets that, that come about, you expect some kind of uh, proliferation, and uh, ultimately, I guess after that, the proliferation the proliferation we would come into the uh, uh, kind of you know consolidation <laughs> so right I'm right sure well, but I guess if you had a really good thing. start and you had a leg up on everybody else I mean there's no reason you can't be targeting to be you know the big player that nobody else can you know the barrier to entry is everybody wanted to do an IBO village because it's going so well so uh, wish you uh, wish you some success with that but uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your business model uh, who are the stakeholders in this business? And I don't mean just the shareholders, but you know who who are the the people that you're helping through this process? And how do you, as a company, IPO Village, earn money in this process? Well, right now, actually, IPO. This is a little. This is interesting. Uh, right now, IPO Village is a public access site, meaning that IPO Village is not make, making any money from listing companies. Okay. Okay. So, in other words, if you invest. And a, a one dollar in a company on IPO Village, the company gets that dollar, which is unheard of. Um, you know, m- most companies when they go public, they get an underwriter. The underwriter takes somewhere between seven and twelve percent of the market. They then turn right. around and sell it to their preferred investors. 
Right. Who pays the brokerage those commission? Those preferred investors then roll it out to the general public. So the general public's getting it third, fourth hand, and of course the prices have gone up by the time they have the opportunity to invest. Right, and commissions have been generated in that process as well. Correct. So broker dealer network, it would have been earning your money as well. So yeah, no, that very clearly that's one of the barriers right now. Um, okay, so clearly the the um, company going public is going to be one of the huge beneficiaries on this, and secondly, the the um, investor who buys those shares is going to be a beneficiary because they're getting a hundred percent of shares for the hundred percent of the money they're putting in. Um, but uh, longer term, I mean, how do you guys make money on this? I assume you're going to have to eventually charge a fee or uh, some sort of uh, uh, access uh, uh, fees or subscription fees or something to be able to uh, make this thing uh, successful. I mean, you know, if you keep it free, I'm sure you're not going to have a lot of competition. But on the other hand, uh, you know, how, how do you make money doing this? Well, right now, again, the legislation has not been passed, and, and part of the legislation is going to say who can do this and who can charge money for it, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the, the difference here is is that it, it obviously we're talking about a much better opportunity for companies, and, and it's it's in a couple of ways. Number one, as as mentioned before, the companies themselves the companies themselves now are not getting not having to pay the underwriters, okay, when they come right. on IPO, and for the investors. They're able to to get it firsthand instead of getting it three hands uh, later. So that's that's very positive. But I think something more attractive to me as an investment banker for the companies that I work with mm-hmm. is the fact instead of having large investors, institutional investors that come in and buy up blocks and share of, of shares, it's much more healthy for the company and the investors if they have many more shareholders who do not who have smaller amounts of shares. And we believe that that will have a greater effect on on the stock price being able to remain solid instead of jumping around. You know, mm-hmm. you do your IPO and you hear stories of companies going up wildly and going down wildly. Right. And our hope is by reaching out to the general public and getting a lot more individual investors that we can add some stability. Yeah, no, very cool. As a matter of fact, let me emphasize a point in there that um, uh, you said, but it may not have uh, struck every listener. I mean, what you're doing is, in essence, setting up a platform for the individual investor, not just the accredited investor, to invest in these companies. So it is the full, uh, the accredited investors, as well as the other 99%, as you referred to them, that will be able to buy these shares and uh, buy them without a, you know, a lot of commission in there, at least in the short term, and uh, there, there won't be any commission just because of, of the rules. I didn't even think about that aspect of it, so I appreciate it. But that is a, you know, that's a huge uh, point, is you're, you're cutting out a whole step in there. Every individual investor, in essence, can invest in that company uh, day one, uh, which is really, really neat. So, uh, you know, I want to make, make sure that point was clear to everybody. Yeah, that's what makes it a disruptive idea, yeah. 
Now, walk us through that crowdfunding process at IPO Village, and, and, and I guess I should share something that we talked about just before the show started, uh, which is that you're in Israel at the moment. Uh, now, that, uh, whether you're allowed to mention any company names or anything else is, is, is a whole different story. I'm not going to ask for that. Uh, but you are actively working with companies to uh, go ahead and start rolling out their shares through IPO Village. So why don't you tell us how that process would look? And generally, it doesn't mean that you're going to have to travel to their site. Often the companies are going to do the traveling. But, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that process. Well, really the process is the the going public process because IPO Village won't take a company that has not gone through that process. So they Mm -hmm. have to be cleared through the SEC. And, And, again, the reason is, the we believe strongly in in the disclosures and allowing the people to have all the proper information to make an investment decision. And I guess for all the listeners out there, sometimes people get uh, I guess shy away from the complications of reading an S uh, an S1 filing with the SEC, which you, you could do freely just go on the SEC site and look up any mm-hmm. company. And there's a wealth of information there, and and that's what, in order to be able to do due diligence, that's what you need. And we want to make sure that all companies that get listed on IPO Village have that due diligence done. Now, if someone wishes to invest from there, that's great. And if they choose not to invest from there, that's great. But at least they had all the information at their fingertips. Okay, now I, I'm starting to see another creative aspect to your launch of IPO Village, even even before these rules written. First of all, it, it allows you to start doing some things uh, under existing SEC laws. Secondly, it starts to position you as the preferred place to come to uh, once those rules are in place. In essence, IPO Village could have two stages of funding. One would be to to uh, attract investors. Uh, prior to the SEC registration, and then the logical, they already, you already know the business, you've already done good work for them, they're going to continue with you on uh, on the stage that's currently uh, available, which is uh, doing the, uh, the the public rollout through, uh, you know, after having the SEC registration. So it sounds like you're positioning yourself to be the uh, crowdfunding and IPO uh, company. That's correct. Very, very cool. Now, see, and this was all, you know, I knew a little bit about your business, but these are questions, you know, I just did not really think through until we, we, we talked here. Now, let's contrast that uh, a little bit more to the kind of traditional venture capital. And maybe, and maybe that example that I just touched on where, where somebody might come to you and get some crowdfunding uh, in, in smaller amounts initially. Uh, versus them going to a venture capital company, uh, getting some venture capital, uh, and then going through the IPO process, which is often that's how venture uh, capital companies exit. Uh, you know, talk a little bit about how IPO Village can make that process more effective and, and how it differs from that traditional model. Well, it, it differs in, in actually a couple of ways. First of all, obviously, the venture capital firms come in and they take a chunk of the business. And it's usually not a small chunk. We're not talking about 10 or 20%, obviously. Right, they take right. more than that. Mm-hmm. So that, that's issue number one. Issue number two, again, is, you know, the venture capitalists are coming in earlier. And earlier means cheaper when you're sure. talking about young companies. So they're buying it, you know, they're buying it cheaper. 
and then they're waiting for it to grow and then turning around and selling their investment at a, at a profit. Now, at IPO Village, what IPO Village does for the investor, aside from they could do their due diligence, but the exit strategy is built in. When you go and log on and you purchase shares in a company, a share cert gets delivered to you, okay? You mm-hmm. now own shares. You deposit them in your brokerage account, and you're free to trade them at your leisure, mm-hmm. at your discretion. So, so the exit strategy is built in, whereas when you're dealing with a company that's not public, the exit strategy could be a long way off. Okay. All right. No, I, I I think you know very very clear contrast, and and probably the biggie is the well, it is the biggie, is you haven't given up, and I'm going to use a rough range, forty to eighty percent of of your shares, uh, to the venture capital company. So you as a, as an entrepreneur as a company still own your shares. And uh, you're releasing all of them, not just uh, your little portion when it goes public, so that uh, somebody like um, uh, Zuckerman at, uh, at uh, Zuckerberg, excuse me, at uh, Facebook uh, would have ended up not with only 29 billion day one. He might have ended up with uh, with 100 billion day one. Um, yeah, actually, <laughs> you're hitting on an interesting point because okay. one of the areas where we feel. IPO Village can really have an impact is with companies that ha- have a large affiliate base. So, uh, Excellent point. Perfect, perfect Excellent example, point. Facebook, right? You could go out and you could, instead of losing or spending 10% on the, of, you know, losing 10% of the company they have to pay for the underwriters, yep. was, the money would have gone into the shareholders' hands. But again, more importantly, from the investor standpoint, okay, they would have been able to buy their shares at a substantial discount than right. what they were allowed to buy it. You know, people were fighting to get in and be able to purchase from the IPO, which only went to the you know the select clients of, of certain broker dealer houses. Now you can go right on and buy it. It's a it's on yep. a first come first serve basis. Yeah, no, very, very good point. Now, one thing, uh, jokingly, we'll, we'll we'll add in here with with uh, Facebook. A lot of people criticize Morgan Stanley, who were the the underwriters on that, for for doing a lousy job. That they overpriced the shares, everything else. I look at it the other way. If I were going public, uh, you know, prior to IPO Village being around, because I got to admit, IPO Village is starting to look a lot more attractive. I would say top of my list would be Morgan Stanley. If they can get me, you know, forty percent above the next day's market value or something like that. I mean, hell, if they really did a great job for uh, for Facebook from that standpoint, although obviously there are a lot of other uh, criticisms on the thing. Uh, But your point's a good one. I mean, even at a lower price, the company and the the original shareholders would have ended up a lot more had they not uh, uh, gone that particular route. So uh, it's neat, neat opportunity. I I really, really uh, starting to get, get into this whole concept. Okay, now let me I know the process a little bit, and I'm not going to use Facebook because the numbers are too big. Uh, but if a company is looking to raise, let's say, $2 million during their IPO or $5 million, whatever the number might be, uh, and, and they set that goal, and, and you go ahead and you, you know, you work, they work through IPO Village to launch those shares, what happens if they don't meet that campaign goal? What, what happens in that case? Well, in, in all of our offerings, there's a minimum and a maximum. Okay. okay. Uh, and so 
So if they if they do not hit their minimum, the funds get returned to the investors. Okay. Uh, gotcha. Shares are held in escrow and until it hits the minimum. And if they don't hit the minimum, the funds get returned. If they do hit the minimum, again, that will be spelled out in their in their SEC documents. What'll happen mm-hmm. if they raise their minimum? What'll happen if they raise their maximum? Okay. All right. All right. So they they basically. Uh, the max, of course, is the cap. But so, what you're saying, as long as they hit their minimum, the company is going uh, uh, going forward. They got a little bit less money than they expected to, uh, but there are fewer shareholders. So theoretically, those shares should eventually uh, go up, and there could be more demand. So they could they could issue more shares, I guess, in the future. Uh, now, given kind of the you know what we just talked about, maybe maybe with uh, you getting on the air and and telling investors about how this is working, and I'm getting kind of excited about it. Uh, does that open you up to uh, other businesses starting to say? Hey, you know these guys at First Line Capital have a have a neat idea. Uh, maybe I need to twist my uh, platform idea into something like that. Are you starting to see any signs of somebody trying to jump into your model? No, I'm not. Uh, but it's a but it's a difficult model. I mean, we've been dealing with the SEC and Finra and uh, small companies for a long time, and it's a complex it's a complex strategy uh, that takes. That, that takes a lot of know-how and uh, you know to get this done, and you have to be willing to deal with young companies in the going public platform, and and those are not easy things, but they're not easy for a good reason. They're not they're not easy because there's auditors involved, auditors that are there to protect the investor, auditors mm-hmm. that are there to make sure that what the company's saying is accurate. You know, the SEC they want to make sure that. All the disclosures have been made. You know, FINRA wants to make sure that that all the shares are, have been issued properly, uh, etc. Et so, you know, there's a lot of good with the SEC and FINRA, and, and they they do a good job with these things. As far as the investor is concerned, as far as the company is concerned, they're a little bit hard to deal with. <laughs> Right. Okay. So you, you basically, your experience, and, and not only your personal, but also the uh, first-line capitals in the whole IPO process is probably one of those barriers to entry to, for you guys to reverse engineer your, your model and go into the general crowdfunding space uh, when when the rules are written is going to be a heck of a lot easier than for somebody playing in the crowdfunding arena to jump into the uh, SEC registration and, and uh, the, the normal IPO process. So I, I think that's a very, very good point and I think you've got a little bit of uh, you're building your own barrier to entry there so that is that is you know great news going forward without it uh, going forward it's not necessarily our plan to jump into crowdfunding that's not an IPO but it is a thought well, it's, even if you don't jump into it, it, clearly you're going to, you know, partners are going to be coming to you as a as a way to get it under that umbrella or something like that. Yeah, no, I, I understand. I introduced this concept, but I, I can see where there, you know, really does open up the possibility for you, whereas others uh, are going to have a much more difficult time, if you will, forward integrating versus uh, backward integrating in, in, in the sense of that cycle. So uh, interesting, interesting point. Now, let me ask you the billion-dollar question. What do you anticipate to be the future of crowdfunding? Uh, you know, what's on the horizon? What's next? Uh, when? You touched on uh, an estimate of when. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit more about what will be happening during the course of this year and what you expect to happen. 
Well, I expect over the course of this year that more and more uh, companies will try to enter the crowdfunding arena. Uh, again, I think there will be a proliferation. Um, some will be uh, bad ideas to start with, as will be done on bad platforms, etc., etc. Uh, but I do think there will be a proliferation, and I do think after the great proliferation will be will come a co consolidation. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, there will be a few strong portals that, that offer these services, and the smaller ones will end up falling by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Okay, I fair think, enough. I think one of the things of crowdfunding is, is though, that, that scares me is I wonder how investors are going to take to not having the clear exit strategy. Um, when you're dealing with a young company, you know, you could give them $500,000 today. It doesn't mean that your exit strategy is even going to be within five years. Yes. So uh, I think that one of those things that, that are going to remain a concern for the investor is their exit strategy, which is the same for any investor. Every investor is worried about their exit strategy, as they should. Good point. You know what? I even though you had touched on that earlier, I missed that. So I, I hopefully our listeners caught that message. Very very important message. And if not, they're going to re-listen to the archive, this segment of it. Uh, that exit strategy of the company that's 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 putting the money out. I mean, basically collecting money, putting out the uh, the offer, uh, and you invest in it. If they don't go public or somehow pay you dividends uh, over the next five, ten, fifteen years, uh, then your investment, even though it's not lost, is is kind of worthless because. Uh, it's just hanging there. It's kind of like uh, buying land when nobody else is buying land. Uh, until the, somebody else starts buying, you you really can't cash out of it. That's correct. Excellent. Excellent point. Now, we've covered a lot of ground today. Are there some key topics we should cover about crowdfunding or about IPO Village that uh, that I didn't in, in my question so far? Well, no. I, I, again, I guess to the public, the, the major points of this are, you know, the ability to invest in young companies that are exciting, that interest you, that's coming. Um, mm -hmm. And that's a positive. Uh, the fact is that they, are, you know, by definition, a young company is going to be a higher risk, but it's also right. going to be a lot higher reward. And, and the, best, the best way uh, for anyone to proceed is, of course, invest within their limits, um, know what you're doing and do due diligence. Do due diligence. And we think that's one of the things that make IPO Village exciting is that there's a full due diligence that can be done by going not even to the company site, but to the SEC's right. website. Right. And I assume you'll have links uh, whenever you, you're bringing companies uh, uh, public, you'll have links or that information directly available on, on your 100 website. 100%. So as a matter of fact, we're working on uh, sections to help people learn how to read the filings with the SEC so they don't feel that they're looking at a bunch of legalese um, or, you know, accounting. Uh, they, they, get a gen they know how to look at it, how to, how to read the balance sheet, how to read... The, 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 uh, all the points from looking for past litigation on the company, the, uh, all, the, all the contracts the company has out, um, everything that can go along with the company is usually listed. <laughs> so 
there's a lot of points uh, that are there in those filings, and, and that's what we want our investors to be able to look at it, see it, make a decision on their own. We're not, we're not going to be hyping the companies. I mean, you come to IPO Village, it's on a first-come, first-served basis. The mm -hmm. company site will be up there. Uh, when you do a purchase, the, the money does not go through IPO Village. The money goes directly to the company. Uh, or I mm -hmm. think to an escrow agent, actually, and then the company. Right, sure. Minimum that. But, but it, money's not changing hands as far as IPO Village is concerned. Uh, we're making that every company that does come on IPO Village has to have their transfer agent, the, the company that issues the shares, but, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. online. So when you go and do a purchase, when you do an investment on IPO Village, it's going directly to the transfer agent. The transfer agent's printing out your share and sending it to you. Excellent. All right. Now, I, in addition to, to companies going public, I have a feeling the venture capital companies are also going to want to take a serious look at your company. So let me, before we forget anything else, I have one more question for you. Um, let's get the information about how people reach you. Uh, how do they find IPO Village, and how do they find uh, First Line Capital? Well, they go to www.ipovillage.com. Uh, mm -hmm. There you have an opportunity to sign up. Uh, it is on a first-come, first-served basis because these offerings are limited, right? The, the company is sure. looking at $2 million, $3 million, whatever the number is. So it's on a first-come, first-served basis. Once you sign up, which is, is simple, easy, a couple of clicks, uh, you will be informed when the IPO is starting. You will, and the sooner you, you sign up, the first chance you will have in investing. Excellent. And then First Line Capital is uh, also firstlinecapital.com, and the first is written out, F-I-R-S-T, correct? Correct. All right. So that be so they want to get a little more background on First Line Capital and your your services and your background in this whole um, uh, IPO arena. Uh, that would be the uh, place they'd want to look as well. Now, one I more question for you. Mm -hmm, sure. First Line Capital is for the companies. IPO village is for the investors. That's a better way to say it. Understand. Understand. Yeah, good point. But it, but but the same point. They want to get a little bit of background on uh, how you operate and where this whole thing came from. So part of their due diligence process. I think I think it's useful. But again, if I were uh, a venture capital company, I would want to take a look at both of those uh, because you might be a great exit strategy versus losing so much money to that whole uh, <clears throat> underwriting process that you described earlier. So, uh, yeah, good good point. But I want to make sure people have both contacts, and I had forgotten to put in my notes the uh, first-line capital, so a good reminder earlier. Uh, now, if some of our listeners want to stay up to date on the developments, uh, but we won't have shows every week on this particular topic, uh, and I'm sure many, many will, including my own company, what suggestions would you have for them to, to keep in touch with what's happening and, and the progress being made in the whole crowdfunding arena? Uh, you know, in addition, of course, IBO Village will be Evolving. That'll be an area most will be interested in. But just in understanding when the rules are written and what can and can't be done with crowdfunding, any good suggestions for them? Uh, yeah, listen, always look up the, the Jobs Act. Um, you can always do a search on that, and that'll give you a good understanding of where they're holding. Uh, and and it also, in general, there's a lot of crowdfunding news sites out there, not, not sites that are looking to take investment, but just to give you the news on the crowdfunding arena. And that's a wonderful place to start. 
Okay, excellent. Daniel, on behalf of our listeners, I'd like to thank you for taking an hour out of your Monday morning. Uh, well, actually, in your case, it's going to be Monday uh, evening, since I forgot that you were in, uh, in Israel, uh, but to meet with us, explain uh, crowdfunding and IPO Village's uh, very unique, uh, very unique, should never use that term, but unique platform. Hopefully, you've inspired a number of our listeners to, to follow those developments and take a look at IPO Village as an alternative when they're doing an IPO. Really appreciate your time, Daniel. Thank you very much. All right, my pleasure. All right, listeners, let me take just a couple minutes to summarize some of the key points we covered today. Uh, a couple that, you know, quite frankly, I didn't even think about when we when we started the show and prepared for it. Uh, first of all, the Jobs Act uh, from uh, it did change from its original definition, just being jobs, to the Jumpstart Our Business Startups. Uh, it is an acronym. Secondly, very very good analogy for crowdfunding is what the uh, equity markets were like pre-depression before the SEC was formed. You know, kind of forget about that because it's been around for so long. The you know excellent point is that we in essence have an analogy of what it was like. Now we saw some of the effects, but that meant the whole market, large companies and everything else, uh, were uh, not regulated at that time prior to to SEC. So excellent, excellent point. Um, crowdfunding is a totally new uh, topic introduced in the U.S. in the spring of 2012 with the JOBS Act, as we said, as an acronym. And from that name, you obviously what they're trying to get across is creating more jobs. And, and specifically, the way to do that is to make sure that entrepreneurs and, cap- and companies can raise capital, expand, and ultimately create more jobs. Very, very logical, since we know the vast majority of jobs are created by small companies. So the more small companies faster they grow, the more jobs there should be. Now, even though the legislation was signed in early 2012, the bureaucrats still haven't finished writing the rules. So what sounds like a good concept with a sound principle behind it may turn out very differently. And there's something about the road to hell being paved with good intentions. Keep that in mind. We've got to watch the developments before jumping in too much. Now, I won't provide my opinion on whether crowdfunding will ultimately be the best idea to come out of the government or it will just be more problems than opportunities. I'd rather wait and see, but there are clearly opportunities like we talked about today with IPO Village that are taking advantage of it and doing some very innovative things, making it better for going public uh, through their platform versus the traditional route. I can make a couple safe predictions. Here's the first one. There will be more entrepreneurs and companies looking for crowdfunding than there will be investors anxious to invest their funds. Now, we touched on one reason during the show. There are a lot of unknowns and a lot of due diligence to be done on each investment. And there's another major reason. Investors don't like uncertainty. With any new concept like crowdfunding, there are more unknowns than there are certainties. Now, I can make another safe prediction. If any of us choose to invest in 10 ventures via crowdfunding, one of those investments will work out extremely well. Four to five will probably break even, and four to five will become worthless. Where do I get that from? Well, that's the history of most venture capital. And uh, the venture capital firms look at a lot of different ventures and do a lot of due diligence on each one they fund, and that's their experience. So that, of course, is my segue into upcoming alternative investment topics. We'll be talking about angel capital, venture capital, as well as hedge funds and a few other alternative investments in upcoming shows. So I just shared with you three good reasons to make sure you tune into the Wealth DNA radio show every second and fourth Monday. On our next show, we'll have Jason Slade of Raymond James. 
as our special guest. We'll be talking about MLPs, M as in M Master, L as in Limited, and P as in Partnership, Master Limited Partnerships. Now, for those of you familiar with them, they are financial products sold through the traditional broker-dealer network. But there's a reason we have it when we do. It is an important alternative for millions of investors to consider in the near future. Why? Well, I guess you'd have to tune in January 28th to find out. And remember, our mission is to help a million listeners become millionaires, and together we'll be able to help many more people than we can today. One little digression from from the norm here. Uh, I happened to go see the musical Hair, the Broadway musical, uh, yesterday. We happened to come to Phoenix area, and it was great to see it and kind of go back to uh, the old deja vu from 40 years ago or so back into the 60s. And I look at that, and as I watch this uh, uh, this show, and it really is very, very entertaining and, and great nostalgia for those of us that uh, lived through that era, it reminded me of something from an investment viewpoint. If you look at it, that time frame was just about when most of the uh, oldest baby boomers, the ones that are just reaching 65 or, or recently reached it uh, or will be nearing 65, they were of that era, hair, the hippies, the love, the drugs. And guess what? At the same time, we look back and say it's that generation that was one of the most productive, one of the most important for the growth of this economy for this country and it's a great time in the world despite the fact that the youth looked pretty useless back then uh they were they were protesting everything of course the war wasn't popular uh and uh, i didn't take part in the, the vietnam war for for uh, good reason my uh, lottery number was was too high uh and i was a little bit younger than the average um, if you will, hippie at that point in time. But uh, back to our norm here. The next Wealth DNA radio show is the fourth Monday of January. That's Monday, January 28th at 9 a.m. in Arizona. Same place and same time. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about MLPs with Jason Slate. The archives of past shows available on wealthdna.us. If you have some suggestions, questions, whether about alternative investments or other investment topics, or if you haven't received emails reminding about the show, send an email to ron at wealthdna.us. We'll keep you posted about future shows and events. And I hope to catch up after my rather uh, unproductive period for the last uh, two weeks fighting this flu. So I hope to be caught up with emails over the next uh, several weeks. Don't forget to fine-tune those New Year's resolutions and update your portfolio tracking spreadsheet. Remember those uh, IGAs, your net worth? Make sure you know how your portfolio is doing. Happy investing. You've been listening to Wealth DNA with Ron Naraki on Arizona Boomer Radio. Arizona Boomer Radio is produced by the Boomer and the Babe Incorporated and can be heard Monday through Friday. You can sign up for their online magazine at boomerandthebabe.com. To reach the Boomer and the Babe, email host at boomerandthebabe.com or friend them on facebook.com slash boomerandbabe. And on Blog Talk, you can friend them at blogtalkradio.com slash boomerandbabe. Follow their tweets at twitter.com slash boomerandbabe. Be sure to make the second half of your life the best half of your life. And remember, at 50, you're just getting started.
With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.